0: James told us that the devil believes and trembles. He knows the reality of who God is better than you could ever know. He knows the reality that he is all-powerful, that he's faithful to his promises. He knows that, and he trembles before this God, but he doesn't have faith in God. He believes in God, but he doesn't have faith
1: in God. If you've ever tried with any real determination to find victory over sexual sin, you've probably asked yourself, what are the keys to my freedom? What are the most important things that I should know in this battle? Please be sure to stay with us for the next nine weeks because we're going to explore some of the fundamental elements that lead to victory over sexual sin. You might be surprised with some of the topics we've chosen, but for over 30 years, we've watched God use these very things to set thousands of men free from life-dominating sin. Today, we start with faith. I'm your host, Nate Dancer, and this is Purity for Life. Across this country and around the world professing Christian men are trapped in the mire of sexual sin they are hopelessly addicted to pornography consumed by lust well trained in the art of keeping secrets and telling lies but many are eventually exposed and they begin to pay the high price of their hidden habits and they come finally seeking freedom and the means to overcome what has for so long kept them beaten and bound. The Word of God promises that Jesus himself is the Deliverer. He is the one who releases the captive and sets the prisoner free. And amen, he is. And for over 30 years, God has been using our ministry to walk alongside men as they journey toward freedom and a new life. And since we have made that same journey ourselves, it is our privilege to show men what Scripture says about finding freedom. So, beginning this week and for a number of weeks to come, we're going to examine the key elements that lead to victorious Christian living and, particularly, freedom from sexual sin. We're going to be asking and then answering questions for you, like, what role does repentance play in freedom from pornography? What role does deliverance play? What about worship? Where does obedience fit in? Today, we're going to ask the question, What role does faith play in freedom from porn and other sexual sins? And I just want to begin by sharing briefly a few verses about faith from Scripture. First, in the Gospels, a number of times when Jesus healed a person, he said, According to your faith be it done to you. When the disciples asked why they couldn't cast out a demon, he said to them, Because of your little faith. When a man came to him seeking help, Scripture says, And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And you see the same emphasis on faith in the writings of Paul. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, he wrote. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith, as it is written. He who through faith is righteous shall live. And finally, Hebrews tells us, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. So even a short walk through the New Testament reveals to us the vital necessity of faith. It is through faith that we are healed, saved, delivered from oppression, and forgiven. And without faith, we are powerless, unprofitable, and unable to please God. But real, biblical, saving faith, it has to be something more than just believing something in our minds, doesn't it? I mean, a great many people believe in God's existence, but that belief is not changing their lives. Our churches are filled with people who understand and agree with the tenets of the Christian faith. They know that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death for sins, and was raised from the dead. And yet, contrary to the way that Scripture describes genuine faith, their faith has not given them victory over their sins. One last Scripture from John chapter 2. Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many people believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all men. And he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. So, many believed in him. They saw him, they saw the wondrous miracles he was doing, they had a kind of faith, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them because he knew them, he knew what was in their hearts. So there is a shallow belief that only acknowledges Jesus for who he is and what he can do, and then there is a real faith that enables Jesus to entrust himself to us and truly do a work in our lives. There is a superficial faith that merely believes him to be a miracle-working man, and a dedicated and sincere faith that absolutely trusts in and utterly depends upon God for forgiveness, deliverance, healing, salvation, and life itself. What kind of faith do you have? Recently, itinerant evangelist Glenn Meldrum spoke to the men in our chapel service, and he described this difference that we're talking about between having a belief in God and in Jesus and embracing the kind of real faith that opens the door wide for God to change our lives.
0: A lot of you thought you had faith. A lot of you thought that you were walking in faith in your life of sin, and it's because we have a very distorted idea of what faith really is. James told us that the devil believes and trembles. He knows the reality of who God is better than you could ever know. He knows the reality that he is all-powerful, that he's faithful to his promises. He knows that, and he trembles before this God, but he doesn't have faith in God. He believes in God, but he doesn't have faith in God. And we are told in Galatians that faith works through love, operates through love. So if you really want greater faith, there's only one way to have greater faith, and it's ultimately to have greater love. The greater the love that we have in God is going to produce in us a greater knowledge of who he is and allow us to trust in this God in a way that we abandon ourselves to him. You are not walking in faith if you are not abandoned to him. It's just that simple. Faith is not just this static idea that you have about God and you just believe something about him and you say, well, I have faith. Faith brings us to a precipice in essence. It brings us to this cliff, this humongous cliff where we hear the voice of God that says, jump. And it's not faith to say, I believe that God would catch me. It is faith that jumps. It's faith that abandons ourself. It's not faith that just says, I believe in the existence of God. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe in Calvary and his shed blood. That does not mean that your life has any real dimension of faith because you could have the same kind of belief then that the devil has. And so your faith has to be founded upon the reality of action that you are placing your faith in him, and it is proved by what you do with your life and how you are trusting in him every step of the way. That you come and you see there is no one else that can save. Now, we can say that, right? We can say, oh, yeah, we know Jesus says, Oh, yeah, we believe that. But does your life speak of it? Does your life demonstrate the reality of faith? Not just belief, not believing in the existence of God, but faith where you have abandoned yourself to this God, and now you are being defined by that, because that's what faith really is, that we believe in a God we cannot see, but he never ever calls us to blind faith. No such thing as blind faith in the biblical faith, because God gives us evidence after evidence and proof after proof. And all those proofs, in essence, make that precipice a little bit higher, the reality a little bit more stronger there, but we always have to make that leap of faith. We always have to say, I will throw myself into your arms. I will throw myself there because I cannot trust in myself. Now imagine you think you're going to trust in yourself, and you throw yourself off that cliff, and you're going to start flapping your wings like a bird. You're going to hit the ground really hard. You see, it just doesn't work like that. It's faith that says, I believe that you have commanded me to jump and I know that you will catch me. Now, in the beginning, when we first start having genuine faith in Christ, we jump and we may fall two feet before he catches us. But when you start maturing in the faith, he may wait till you are two inches from the ground before he does. But it's still going to be the same thing. It is the demand that we have faith and that faith is putting our our life in His hands, the trust of Him, the surrender of all that we are, and the greater the love for God, the greater the expression of faith that will be. And that's why when you look in history and you see in the Word of God and through the the uh, life of the church, you see great faith in men and women, and you'll always find in that great faith was a great love that drove them in near fellowship with Him, and through that near fellowship, their faith grew greater and greater because they knew this. God and they love this God and they found that it was easy to trust in a God that you truly know and know that he's good. And so God wants us to have that kind of faith. That becomes faith that can move mountains, faith that can change things, not because we have an agenda and we go to God and says, well, I'm believing, I have faith that you'll do this because we're told in uh, epistle of John that we are to pray according to his will. And if we pray according to his will, then we can have confidence, faith that he will answer. You can pray anything you want, and it doesn't mean that you're praying in faith. Faith comes in believing who this God is, who he's revealed himself to be, in the reality of his promises, and knowing what his will is for our life, and then we pray by faith, abandoning ourselves into his hands, and we are trusting him to do what he has promised. And so if you're going to have faith in God to save you, you can't look to anything else to save you. If you're going to look to God to have you overcome, help you overcome your addiction to sin, then you can't look to anything else. There can be nothing else, not another person, not another thing, not another you know, way of thinking or anything else. It must be Christ and Christ alone, where you are throwing yourself in his arms, throwing himself to him, because you find there's no other place to go and no other place you want to go. And you see, that's what the love does, because the greater our love, the more we don't want to go any other place. Because we begin to taste this love that is so glorious and so beautiful and so wonderful. And we ache for that love and we ache for more of it. And as that love grows and flourishes in us, it becomes easier to trust. And then when we know his voice, because we walk in that fellowship with him, we know that voice. Then when we hear him say, child, jump, it's time to jump, we say, yes, Lord. Because we have tasted and seen, we know that he's good, we understand the love of God, and we are having genuine faith that is being proved through our life, through what we do. Father, we come before you now in the precious name of Jesus, and Lord, those first disciples went and, and asked you to teach them faith, to help them to believe, to deliver them from their unbelief. And God, we must ask the same identical thing, because we are naturally prone to unbelief in you and trust in self. And so, God, we ask for that revolutionary faith. And, God, that's what it is. It is revolutionary. If it's not revolutionary, then it's not true faith. Because this God, when he breaks in our our lives, Lord, when you break in our life, you do a radical work. When we believe in who you are, you do miracles, O God. And so, God, I'm asking for that faith, that these men would believe, have faith in you, that you are more than able and more than desirous to have them live the victorious Christian life. You offer them everything they need for life and godliness, absolutely everything. And, Lord, they need to lay hold of eternal life, and that is laying hold of it with this faith that grabs hold of you and will not let go. And so, God, I'm asking for that. Not one man has to leave. This ministry, not one of them have to leave before they graduate. Every one of them have the potential to be the victor that you purchased them to be with your own blood. But Lord, we're asking that they would grab hold of the faith that you are offering them. And Lord, the truth is, none of us have faith of ourselves. We don't have it. It comes through grace. It comes through your gift to us. But yet, God, when we ask, you give good gifts. And when we ask for faith to believe and faith to trust you, you will help us. In the precious and wonderful name of Jesus.
1: So faith is much more than an intellectual assent to the truth of the Gospels or a collection of beliefs about him. Faith is a decision to leap into the arms of Jesus and trust in him alone for a saving work in you and deliverance from your sins. In this next segment, Jim Lewis and biblical counselor Ken Larkin sat down to explore the scriptures together, looking at what they have to say about seeking Jesus to meet a desperate need and the role that faith plays in gaining healing and freedom from a life-dominating
2: affliction. Ken Larkin is a biblical counselor here at Pure Life Ministries. And he's joined us in the studio today to discuss the vital importance of prayer and specifically the need of the man who is locked in sexual sin to never stop praying never stop seeking the lord and never stop reaching out for freedom ken thank you for joining us here today pleasure to be here jim Ken, some time ago steve gallagher was heard to quote a christian therapist who had said the worst thing you can do with people involved in pornography is lecture them about praying more and asking God for help. They've already done that, often to the point of despair. And Pastor Steve referred to his words as blasphemous because this Christian therapist went on to assert that the only real hope for sexual addiction could be found through psychotherapy. He was clearly inferring that God is not trustworthy. You can cry out to Him until you're blue in the face and nothing is going to happen. So let's start right there. From your many years of counseling men in sexual sin, how important is it to pray and pray and not give up? How important is it to cry out to the Lord for help?
3: Well, Jim, I would say uh, indispensable. The only way that God has really prescribed Anyone to be set free from sin is through his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself said, ask, seek, and knock. The, the remedy is to cry out to God in faith, knowing and believing that he can deliver you from your sin and not to stop crying until you get that help that you need. Uh, there's a scripture, Hebrews four fifteen through 16, "...for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses." but one who was tempted in all things as we are yet without sin therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need and i see that as really as a a huge invitation from the lord for anyone that needs help that we can come to his throne and i love the way he coupled that word mercy with grace that God in your condition will give you mercy that you don't deserve and forgive you of your sin as you're repenting of it, but he's also going to give you that grace to help in time of need, the grace to overcome that very sin that you're crying out to be delivered from. And so we can come to God with an
2: attitude of confident expectation, not demanding as though he owes us, and not begging as though he were unwilling. But I like the old word beseeching, and that is Humbly and even desperately seeking, but knowing that he hears an intense answer. Us. Do you see this attitude in the men who come into breakthroughs in our residential program?
3: Absolutely. And I would say that is the one thing that would define the difference between those who really get deliverance while they're here and the ones that don't. They've already tried all their own resources before coming, and the only help that they possibly have is to cry out to God until he delivers. And he alone can deliver, and he will deliver, everyone who asks him in the name of his Son. Can I want
2: us to turn to a very familiar story found in the Scripture. It's in Mark chapter 5. And uh, here we find the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Tell us what you can about her desperate
3: situation. Well, Jim, she had had this issue of blood for 12 years. And with that, there was a social stigma. According to the Jewish uh, customs of the day, she would have been ceremonially unclean, kind of like what we would call an untouchable today. And a lot of people equate that with sexual sin. No one wants to touch these people. And she was desperate, and she had tried every human resource. She went to the experts, the doctors, and she really spent everything she had to try to get the help that she needed, that physical healing, and nothing helped. So she was in this dilemma where she'd done everything she could and probably running out of hope that there really was no answer for her.
2: Now, Ken, in your own personal experience, can you relate to this woman? Had you sought help from many sources before finally getting free through faith in Jesus?
3: I did. I went to Worldly Wisdom. I was this self-help type guy, uh, too ashamed in a lot of ways to reach out for help, going to uh, a counselor or anything like that, but I did all that anyway because I did it through human wisdom, through books, different self-help types things, trying to get myself out of this, and there was nothing that would deliver me. I remember when I applied for the program, the director asked me, why do you want to come here? And I said, well, if anything else was going to work, it would have already happened. So I knew that only the Lord could ultimately set me free. So getting back to our story, one day this woman heard
2: that Jesus of Nazareth was in town, and uh, she decided that she would do what she could to get to him. Can you tell us what happened when she went out that day in search of healing?
3: Well, she went out and there was a huge crowd around Jesus, and probably weakened from her condition of having this ailment for years was seemingly impossible that she could actually get through that crowd to touch jesus but she knew she was in desperation and she knew her only hope was in jesus if i could just touch the hem of his garment i will be healed so she was determined to press through the crowd and get a hold of him while she could while he was passing her way can you mention the word desperation here at pure life we pray
2: that God will send us desperate men who are desperate for real change. How important is this desperation?
3: It's indispensable because ultimately only God can set a person free. And if they're not desperate, they're not going to be willing to cry out to God until that happens we all want a quick fix take a magic pill and everything is gonna be fine but God and sexual sin usually doesn't work that way it's through a process of deliverance and it's only through crying out to God consistently and learning to submit yourself to him as he gives you that direction in your life because he does lay out a path for freedom in his word but it's only by his grace that we can walk in that freedom So it's indispensable. I would say definitely that's one of the most important ingredients for anyone who is truly seeking to be free, to have that faith in God and the desperation, just like this woman, I must touch the hem of his garment to be made whole. And I'm not going to stop until that happens.
2: The other key word that you just mentioned was faith. Tell me, Ken, in your experience as a counselor, how important is a man's faith to him finally gaining freedom?
3: It's very important because only God can set you free, but faith is that spiritual thing, if you will, that links you to the power of God. And there's two ingredients that I would say that are indispensable for someone seeking help from the Lord. Number one, to believe that God is really that good and merciful and willing that he wants to set the sinner free. He wants to deliver the sexual sinner. But the other thing is that he has the power and the ability to do it. And those coupled together is that faith that has a confident assurance that not only am I crying out to God, maybe my situation is desperate, but I'm not hopeless because God is going to hear me when I cry out to him.
2: Now, even though we might already know it. Finish the story for us. What happened with this woman when she reached out to touch Jesus?
3: Well, she was able to reach out and touch the hem of Jesus's garment, and it really it seemed like, considering her situation and the crowd, how was she gonna get through to Jesus? So The beautiful thing about this story is, I believe, even the grace of God enabled her on the journey to make that connection with the Lord. And she was able to reach out and touch the hem of his garment. And just like she believed, as soon as she touched him, the healing power of God went through her to completely eradicate, completely set her free from this physical ailment, destroy it from the roots up. What no human invention, what no doctor could do for her, Jesus did that day. Every
2: story in Scripture has a meaning and it has an application. Speaking directly to the man who is listening to us today, the man who has tried many things only to still be stuck in his sin, what would you say to him today about faith, desperation, and seeking a touch from the Lord?
3: Well, this Scripture is an an excellent example of the type of uh, qualities that are going to be important for anyone seeking freedom. And taking the uh, example of this woman, she was persistent and she had faith knowing that God could and would deliver her if she could just get a hold of him. And having that same desperation, you might feel like her, you might feel unclean spiritually because of your sexual sin. She was unclean physically. But the same God that was able to cleanse her and deliver her from this physical ailment can do it for you, but you have to cry out in faith and believe that God wants to do it and he will do it. And keep crying out till it happens. That's the desperation we need. Not a hopelessness that there's no hope. Maybe God might answer my prayer, but a desperation that I have to be delivered. I have to be set free and Jesus will do it as you cry out to him. and Don't stop until you get that deliverance, until you get the freedom that you're asking for.
2: Ken, as we wrap up today, I wonder if in your own personal experience, you found that having persistence, that having a faith that just wouldn't quit, that the practice of crying out and crying out is what made all the difference in your freedom and in your deliverance from the Lord.
3: Yeah, what I would say, Jim, is in my life, I had tried to be free decades of sexual sin trying to be free trying to be free trying to do all the right things but it wasn't until i really began to cry out to the lord that i started seeing something happen and it was a continuous thing it wasn't like i just cried out to the lord once and i was free god kept working in my life until finally one day i looked back and i was free I wasn't my life was no longer dominated by this so I can say that it was the prayer it was the crying out to God it was believing that God wanted to was willing and he was able to set me free and as I cried out to him persistently God did that in my life I got desperate enough to ask and God answered that prayer in a bigger way than I could have hoped for and today I'm in freedom that I at one time I thought I would never ever experience well
2: thank you Ken, for your counsel, for your work on behalf of men in sexual sin, and thank you for your words here today. Thank you, Jim. I want to return
1: for a moment to the scripture that we looked at earlier from John 2. John said literally that the people trusted in Jesus when they saw the signs he was performing, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in them. He knew the shallow condition of their faith. He knew that they believed something about him, but were not willing to trust him for their salvation and life. They had belief without commitment, a shallow faith that did not lead to faithful obedience. Jesus wants you to trust him. You probably know the scriptures that say he was not able to do any miraculous works among certain people because of their lack of faith. Faith is absolutely key. You must trust Christ with enough desperation that you will cry out to Him, knowing that He is your only hope and that He alone can deliver you and set you free. One last word Paul said that faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of Christ. So listen to and read the Word of God and remember the prayer of the father of that demonized boy who said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. If you're lacking in faith, that prayer is a good place to start. Ask Jesus for the gift of faith. Ask him for faith to truly trust him. That is a prayer that he wants to answer. And that is my testimony. That's all for today's program. We're so glad you joined us. We'll see you next time on Purity for Life. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.